Welcome to the Exam Room Rambles Podcast, where veterinarian Dr. Tracy Westergaard shares the same tips, opinions, and explanations she gives you in the exam room, only without barking dogs or hissing cats. We're really glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hello, thanks for tuning in to Exam Room Rambles. I am your hostess, Tracy Westergaard, a mixed animal veterinarian at the Marshall Animal Clinic in Southwest Minnesota. I have started this podcast to share with you all the different topics that we discuss in the exam room, but don't always have enough time to elaborate on them and go into detail. So here we are, and I am going to ramble on about things that are important to you. We're going to continue with the theme of food and feedings today. In our last podcast, we discussed people food, and today I'm going to discuss actual dog food, only not specific brands of dog foods. We're going to talk about types of dog food, when and how to feed your dog, what kind of bowl to use even. We're probably going to continue with this feeding theme for a couple episodes because they're easy for me. They're things that I'm comfortable with as I'm learning the rope. You can expect quite a few mistakes in these first couple podcasts as I'm learning. That first podcast on people food, I actually spent about 10 hours working on that podcast, editing, re-recording. It was a real challenge. I read a quote recently that you need to be brave enough to be bad at something, and I just keep telling myself that over and over as I record these podcasts. I just need to be brave. I just need to get it out there. It will get easier and I will get better. So thank you so much for being here as I learn how to podcast and share information with you. Every time we see your pet, whether it's for an annual physical exam and vaccinations or whether they're at the clinic because they're sick and not feeling well, you can expect us to ask what brand of food you're feeding your pet, how often and how much you're feeding your dog. If you're feeding meal feeding, free choice, when was the last meal, is he a fast eater, is he a slow eater, all these things are so important and they're relative to what we see on our exam. Unfortunately, pet obesity is one of the most common conditions that we see every day. So the first thing I want to talk about is the old debate, what is better, dry food or canned food? Now, from a nutritional point of view, as far as foods being complete diets for dog, having everything that AFCO, which is kind of the governing body over dog and cat foods, deems necessary, pretty much everything is going to cover that basis. But there are some obvious differences between canned and dry. The first thing is water. We don't think about it, but canned food is like 75% water. Canned food is actually less nutrient-dense than dry food, and a lot of people think it's the other way around. Dry food is actually more dense because there's no water in it. You're not paying for water in the food. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that dry or canned is better, but there are certain circumstances where we want our pets to drink more fluid, and giving them canned food is going to be an advantage. From the dog's point of view, it's not just about taste. Texture and temperature matter. Most dogs and cats really do like canned food. It's moist. It's usually way smellier than dry food. Cats really like a strong smell to their food. It's all part of the experience. 
canned food is actually a texture that's much more instinctively natural to animals, dogs and cats. When you think about it, if our pets weren't being fed by us, but they were wild dogs and cats out having to catch their own food or scavenge their own food, they would not be eating a dry, extruded kibble. That is something that we have developed for our convenience. Cats especially are obligate carnivores. They are going to hunt and eat wet tissue in every single one of their meals. In fact, wild cats, they do drink water, but they get the majority of their fluid from body fluid. Now, dogs are a little different. Dogs aren't necessarily strict carnivores, though they are hunters, but they are also scavengers. We do know that wild dogs, wolves, coyotes, they will scavenge for berries, roots, dead carcasses. It's not just meat. We're cats. It's strictly meat. I am going to agree that canned food is actually in texture closer to what an animal would eat naturally. I don't think it means everyone has to feed their pet canned food all of the time. You know, the reason we like dry food is A, it's less messy. B, it has a long shelf life. It can sit out all day and it's not going to go bad. Where canned food gets kind of gross and dry and can actually attract flies or ants, especially if you're feeding your pet outdoors. So what makes it easier to feed and what makes it something that stores a lot longer is also one of the disadvantages. Does tend to have more preservative. Now, as far as cost-wise, dry food is almost always cheaper per nutrient density than canned food. The other thing, I can't help but think, though someone could probably argue with me on this, that it's less environmental waste. You have a bag of food with multiple feedings versus canned food. You have, for the most part, aluminum cans, individual servings per can. Now, aluminum is the most recyclable disposable that we have. I don't know if that's the right words, but aluminum is way more recyclable than plastic. So if you are buying canned food and you're recycling those aluminum cans, it's way better than plastic. A lot of plastics aren't really recycled like we think they are, but that has nothing to do with this podcast. But I do think we need to look at waste and do the best thing for our environment. And just because dry food does come in a big bag doesn't mean you should buy the biggest bag. It does have preservatives. It does have all the moisture pulled out of it so it is less likely to spoil. But it still contains fat and protein and carbohydrate and those things can get stale. Specifically the fat can go rancid. I personally transfer my dry bagged food into a airtight Tupperware container And if you do that, which I think a lot of people do, that's fine. But between bags of food, you need to clean out with soap and water that plastic container. Because there's always little bits of like fatty, greasy film that comes off the dog food that lines that container. And that can be a place where over time, as that gets old and rancid, can spoil, can have a buildup of bacteria. The other option would be to store your food in its actual bag and then store that bag in an airtight container. Then you just pitch the bag when you're done. I would also encourage you to buy a small bag of dog food instead of a large bag of dog food. So I have three dogs, and I go through a lot of dog food. I even go through more cat food. But I try to buy what I can use up within a couple weeks. I would hate to buy a 40-pound bag and have it last 
five months if I have a 10-pound dog. That food needs to stay fresh. It does have a shelf life. It does have expiration dates. We need to respect those. You're going to the store anyway to buy milk and bread and other things. Just buy the smallest bag and replace it frequently. Dog food does store in the freezer, by the way. If you do buy a big bag and you only want to pull out a couple weeks worth to put in your Rubbermaid, stick the big bag in the freezer. So back to the canned dry debate. Now, dogs are pretty good about eating whatever you offer them, despite their life stage. Now, I am a fan of canned food on young puppies. Once they turn three to four months old, if they are a medium to large breed dog, I think you can transition them off the canned or keep them on if canned food is something you choose to feed. The toy breed dogs, these little dogs that are teacup poodles, little mini Yorkies, miniature schnauzers, the dogs that are going to mature at less than 10 pounds, just to keep them eating more frequently to prevent hypoglycemia, I do like them to have canned food a little bit later into their adolescent age. Cats are kind of a different deal. I am a fan of canned cat food throughout a cat's entire lifetime. And it is critical when they are kittens that they get exposed to canned food. Cats develop preferences to textures and tastes. So if you expose them to a variety of things as a kitten, they're not going to have aversions to that later in life if you need to switch to a canned food. So there are certain health conditions in cats where we really encourage canned food. And if your cat has never been exposed to canned food and all of a sudden they're nine years old and you need to switch to a canned kidney diet, they may not want anything to do with it. If they're exposed at a young age and exposed to it throughout their life, it is much easier to transition them later in life. The main health conditions with cats that I think canned food are important is male cats with feline lower urinary tract issues. These are when they get the crystals in their urine. They can have bloody, painful urinations. It's often food-related and often chronically dehydrated-related. And female cats can kind of get a version of this a sterile cystitis that is related to stress. And we can actually treat that by switching to 80% canned food. Of course, there's renal disease or, or kidney failure, which is pretty common in older cats. And that's another disease process where we really like canned food. So if your cat has urinary issues, I recommend at least 75% of their diet be canned food. You can still offer them dry. There are advantages to dry food. For example, you want to leave food out for them because you're going to be gone for the day. A second disease condition where we really encourage feeding canned food is obesity. And I know at first that sounds counterintuitive, but I just got done saying a few minutes ago, canned food is actually less energy dense than dry food because it has more water in it. Dry cat food and dog food, especially if you're buying a premium brand, which I hope you are, Consumers have demanded it be so nutrient-dense to have less stool volume and to be a better buy for the money you pay that these foods are so dense that they don't have to eat very much to get everything they need. Well, feeding a food that is 75% water like a canned food is a way that you can get more volume, more texture, more satisfaction into your cat with actually less calories. So don't think that if you have an obese cat that you need to necessarily cut out the canned food. Actually, it might be an option to feed them more canned food and less dry. 
Now, there are actually formulas that we can follow to give you exact nutrient requirements, calorie-wise, fat and protein-wise for your pet. So if obesity is an issue that you are concerned about your pet and you really would like to dial in their nutrition, I would schedule an appointment to actually come in. We can weigh the pet. We can look at the different diet options, figure out calories, and figure out an individualized feeding plan. So we've covered canned food versus dry food, but I'd also like to talk about how often to feed your pet. There is free choice, which means they have food available to them 24-7. It's usually dry. Or meal feeding, which would be feeding one to two times a day, possibly three, depending on the life stage, whether they're a puppy or a kitten, or whether they are adult dogs. And I'm going to say right off the bat, I am a fan of twice-a-day feedings for both dogs and cats. You are feeding a specific amount of food, we'll say three-quarter cup, to your pet twice a day at the same time, morning and night, if they don't want to eat or there is a change in their excitement level, the way they're chewing, anything out of the ordinary, you are going to see it and that is going to be the first indication that there is a problem. It almost doesn't matter what the disease is, whether it is a slow disease, you know, liver issues, kidney issues that creep on slowly, or whether it's something suddenly like they ate a toy and now they have an obstruction from a foreign body, the first indication is almost always whether or not they eat. So if you're feeding that pet, you can gauge that every day. If they have free choice food and you're just filling up the bowl, sometimes it's hard to gauge how much they've really eaten in the last day or two. If you have multiple people in the house that are filling that bowl, it's really hard to say. So I am a fan of meal feeding for that reason. And you can establish that meal feeding practice when they're a puppy or a kitten. If they're older and you have been free choice feeding, I do have a system for converting a free choice pet into meal feeding. And that involves about two weeks of slowly decreasing the increments. So if your cat has food 24-7 and you have observed that it likes to eat, you know, 9, 10 in the morning and maybe eats a little bit around midnight, You can narrow those windows. Start by putting food down for maybe five or six hours in the morning, taking it up, putting it out five or six hours at night when you think your cat is already eating. And then day by day, you narrow that window. And you can also slowly over time shift that window to when it's convenient for you. I feel like the most convenient time to feed pets are in the morning when you're drinking your coffee, eating breakfast, getting ready for work. And then again, when you're having your family meal in the evening. So roughly 12 hours apart, though it wouldn't have to be. Reasons that you would want to adjust those times up or down is because of your schedule. Animals that eat on a regular basis tend to have to go to the bathroom on a regular basis. And if you find that you feed your dog at 7 o'clock at night, that means it needs to poop at 5 in the morning. Boy, I wouldn't want to get up every morning at 5 a.m. so my dog can poop. So you might want to adjust that feeding time to 9 o'clock at night so that that dog's natural regularity in its poop cycle. Is that a thing? Poop cycle? Well, in its poop cycle, if you'd like to shift that up to 7 o'clock at morning, you'd feed your dog a little later. So every animal is going to be an individual, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. At first, your pet might be a little confused at what you're doing. It may be hungry, but that's okay. It will learn to eat when food is put in front of it. 
The other option, if you have a grazer, would be if you know that your dog needs one cup of food per day, you can put that one cup of food in the morning. And then if it's gone at seven o'clock at night, it's gone. It's had all it needs. It's going to have to wait till morning to have the next meal. Another reason that I'm not a fan of this grazing all day is there are health conditions and situations in your pet's lifetime that it's going to need medications. So many of the medications we use are twice-a-day medications. Many antibiotics are. Many pain meds are. For diabetics, we often do insulin twice a day. And any kind of medicine, with the exception of a few, are best given with food. If your pet's hungry, that pill can be hidden in a treat and they'll take it easier. It's especially important with diabetics because we do not want to give them their full dose of insulin unless we know that they are eating their regular meal. It is really challenging to manage a diabetic who is grazing throughout the day. Little treats and snacks are okay throughout the day, but we really want that meal with their insulin. A couple other random recommendations that I have that work better with meal feeding would be no food before vigorous exercise. Kind of like us. If you eat a huge meal, you better not go swimming because just like your mom said, you could drown. You're probably not going to run out, run a six minute mile after you eat a huge breakfast. Pets are the same way. If you are going to go out for a run with your dog, plan that around their meals. The other thing is travel. Though not all animals get car sick, we have some that do, and if you're going on any kind of road trip more than just a few minutes away, I would encourage you to do it with an empty stomach. We do recommend large and giant breed dogs be fed with their food bowl elevated and to be restricted from exercise for a while after eating. This is because they are predisposed to a condition called bloat, gastric dilatation and volvulus, GDV. And it's a bad one, folks. In fact, our Saturday night emergency was actually a bloat, a gastric dilatation and volvulus that required surgery to save that dog. Everything went well. We anticipate a complete recovery. But because large breed deep chested dogs are prone to this, we do recommend elevated feeding and rest after eating. The last thing I'd like to talk about before we wrap up this podcast, it's amazing how fast 20 minutes goes, is the material that your food and water bowls are made of and what type of bowl they are. So we are absolutely fans of stainless steel or ceramic dishes, not plastic. We especially don't like plastic in cats, but we don't care for it in dogs either. Cats can develop an allergic type condition called eosinophilic granuloma complex, which has several different manifestations on the cat's body, but specifically They can get one on their lips where their lips swell and ulcerate. Now, the common name for it is rodent ulcer, but it has nothing to do with rodents. We found that cats being fed out of plastic food bowls, this condition will disappear when we remove the plastic and move to a stainless steel. And then when we start putting that stainless steel bowl in the dishwasher every single day, the condition resolves. Yes, that is one I confess I am terrible about. I do not throw my dog's food bowls in the dishwasher nearly enough. They should be done several times a week and really every day, especially the water bowl. I think a lot of us are guilty of just refilling that water bowl. But if you run your hand inside that water bowl, there's almost a slime there. That is a biofilm of bacteria that gets on the food bowls also. So we really need to wash those more frequently 
and I feel like stainless steel and ceramic are much easier to completely clean. The problem with plastic is plastic gets these little scratches in it, these little micro chasms for bacteria to live in. No plastics, partly for the eosinophilic granuloma complex and partly just because I don't think you can get them as clean. If your pet is one that likes to eat really fast, there are some really cool products out there to slow them down. There are die-cut bowls, and yes, these bowls are plastic, but there are stainless steel die-cut bowls. If you want to just use the bowl you have, you can use a rubber ball. You can use a large, clean field rock, something that they can't swallow, that they have to work around to get to their food. Another thing you can do is feed them on a tray. Instead of a food bowl, they're being fed on a tray and they have to pick up individual pieces of food. There are also several like ball toys that you can actually put the food inside the ball and as your pet rolls it around, it releases pieces here and there. That will definitely slow them down and give them a little bit of play, chase, hunt behavior, which is really important. If you have that cat that likes to eat in the middle of the night, and I just got done saying you need to meal feed, well, I'm not going to get up a meal feed. They do make automated feeders. These are really cool, especially if you're the type of person that every time your cat begs for a little food or a treat, you give it to them. When you have an automated feeder, the cat learns that the feeder is what gives them food, not you. So they go and they know how to tell time and they will wait at that feeder until the door pops open and they can go ahead and eat their meal. So if you're trying to put your cat on a diet and you just don't have the heart to do it, consider an automated feeder. They're usually about 50, 60 bucks. There's several different ones to choose from. Well, it looks like we've been talking for about 20 minutes, so we're going to wrap this up. I'd like to thank you for sticking with me in my second podcast. I survived. You survived. Some of my edits aren't so smooth, but I hope they get better every podcast. If you have ideas or suggestions, topics you'd like me to discuss, I can be reached at examroomrambles at gmail.com or the Marshall Animal Clinic during regular business hours, 507-537-1537. Or you can visit our website at www.marshallanimalclinic.com. Thank you. Thank you.